Calvary Church is located in beautiful Peterborough, Ontario, and is committed to impacting that community with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Each week, one of our preaching team draw powerful life application truths from the Bible. Check us out here or online at calvaryptbo.church. Excuse me. The scripture we're reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 18 to 23. Sorry about that. I was ready. First service. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled that the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in the vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance to the time when the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Thanks, Ian, for uh, leading us in worship this morning, and, and thank you, Barb, for reading that tough passage of Scripture. Ian said to me before service, he said, uh, seriously, you want me to come back and sing a song after that passage of Scripture? <laughs> I was like, yep, <laughs> have fun with that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Barb, you did a great job. Hey, just, uh, just as a side note, Barb is our, our children's director here at, at Calvary Church. And tonight, if you want to be just have a, a great time this Christmas, you need to be here tonight for 6 p.m. She's doing her children's Christmas show, production, uh, service, whatever we want to call it. It is, it is going to be boatloads of fun. We've got tape here to keep the kids in line. And, uh, and, and in proper spot, I'm assuming that's what it's there for, or maybe it's for the crowd to stay, stay behind that line. No more pictures in front of, I don't know, whatever it is. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that's tonight at 6 o'clock. So I want to encourage you to, to be here. It is always one of my favorite events at Christmas, being here watching the kids, because you never know, you just never know what you're going to get. And now that my kids are old enough and they're not in it anymore, I can laugh really loud and it's okay. People don't think I'm a bad parent anymore. <clears throat> and yeah. Anyways, I would, uh, I would encourage you to be here for that. 6 p.m. this evening, invite your dog, invite your, uh, your family, invite your neighbors, invite all that are here in your life to be here for that. 
So getting back to this passage of Scripture, it's a difficult passage of Scripture, no question about it, but we're going to look at it today because I want to I understand that life of Herod. Now we're in a, a series here, this Christmas series, we're calling it the Christmas Wish List. This is week number three of a four-week series, and we've been looking at the different characters in the Christmas story, and we, we're looking at what they wished for that Christmas, what they got and how they responded. And we're trying to see if there's something we can learn from these lives here in 2018. And so in week number one, we looked at the shepherds who had nothing on their Christmas wish list. And they got the most amazing gift that, uh, that first Christmas. Last week, we looked at the Magi. And uh, they got exactly what they wanted, but they were underwhelmed. They, weren't, they didn't appreciate, they didn't see the value, the, the, the significance of their gift. Today we're looking at, at Herod, what he got, or what he wanted and what he got, completely different. So how in the midst of, of not getting what you want, uh, do we respond? Let me give you a little bit of history on, on Herod. Herod was born in 73 B.C., and he was the son of Antipater, who was uh, kind of like a police officer in the Roman city of Rome, and he kind of managed all of that. And, and so when he passed on, his son Herod took kind of over that, but then he became, in 37 BC, became the, what was titled the King of Judah, or King of Israel, or Judah at that time. And uh, he, was, he had the title of king, but that didn't mean that he had complete supremacy, that he still had to, to follow under the emperor in Rome. He was still subject to him, but he was given this title king of Israel, king of the Jews. And so, so that happened in 37 BC. Now, he was, he was extremely wealthy. He was politically gifted, intensely loyal, he was an excellent administrator and clever enough to remain in good graces uh, with the succession of many Roman emperors. His famine relief was superb, and his building projects were admired even by his foes. But he loved power. He inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on the people and resented the fact that many Jews considered him a, a usurper. He, he wasn't really the king in their eyes, and they didn't view him as the king, and he didn't like that very much. Later in his life, he, he became very paranoid, and, uh, and he was known for that, and he was known for his jealousy. In fact, he, was, he went even as far as to kill one of his favorite wives, one of his ten wives. Yeah, ten wives. Hoy, hoy, hoy. And, uh, and he killed two of his sons just because, just because he was suspicious. Nothing seemed to indicate that this was the case, but he was suspicious that they may do something against him, and so he had them killed. That's the kind of ruler he became. And in fact, he ordered 2,000 Jewish leaders to be crucified after his death just so the nation would mourn his passing. That was the kind, now fortunately his, his sister of all people stopped that from happening and so that didn't, didn't happen, but that was, that was the, uh, the command that he had given before he passed on. He ended up dying in, in March. We're, we're assuming, it, it appears that, that the best time we could label his death was March 4 BC. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, okay, he died March of 4 BC? B.C.? Mm-hmm. 
Well, that doesn't make sense because he's in the Christmas story and isn't, isn't our calendar based on Jesus? Yep. Let me give you a little, listen, a little lesson on, on the history of our calendar. Just really quick. We follow what, in modern day, we follow what's called the Gregorian calendar or often it's called the Christian era. And it's situated around the birth of Christ. We, have, uh, we live in 2018 AD, which is a Latin term which means the year of his birth or the year of the Lord, Anno Domini. Then we also have BC, which has no cool Latin term, it just means before Christ. Why AD has a Latin term and BC doesn't, I don't know, but it's what I found out. Anyways, in, two, in 540, 25 AD, so 20, 525 years post-Christ being born, they were still using the AUC calendar, or it was a Roman his, historical calendar based on where they saw the, find, the founding of Rome and, uh, and the year that Rome was, was birthed. And so that was kind of their, their structure. But a Christian monk thought, you know what, that's, that's kind of inappropriate. Why, why are we celebrating or why are we honoring this? Why should we not be honoring Christ? Everything in life revolves around Christ. Christ is the pinnacle moment in all of history. Would we, should we not then follow the calendar based on his life? And so he began to do some research and he did a little bit of homework and he labeled that Jesus was probably born on this specific year, and so that was year number one in his eyes. Fast forward, here we are a number of years later, and with more findings and more historical records and all of this kind of stuff, we're beginning to realize, or we, we find, we're realizing that that's really off. He was, Donisius uh, is a little bit off in terms of his timing, and in fact, Jesus was probably born about four, somewhere between four and six B.C. That was probably so. Just so you know, you're in fact really six years older than what you are. Okay, not really, but so we're a little bit off on our on our calendar that we've seen. But that has nothing to do with Scripture. That's something that happened many, many, many years after Christ was born. Scripture is pretty clear on what happened, and uh, and so we follow along. With that. So let's get back to this story on, uh, uh, of Herod. Herod uh, being king, nearing the end of his life, in the height of probably his paranoia, has these magi, these wise men, these, these people from the east come knocking on his door and saying, hey, King Herod, we're here because we have recognized that the king of the Jews has been born and we want to worship him. Well, let me just say this. If, his, if Herod's family was kind of curious as to what was going to be on his Christmas wish list before, they definitely know what's on it now. The paranoid Herod all of a sudden have his antennae go up and he's like, well, pardon? A king? A king is, is to be born? I, I know that, and he was well aware of the Jewish culture, and, and, and they, he knew and was well anticipating that there was going to be a Messiah at some point, or a king of Israel at some point. 
He didn't know when it was going to be, and he didn't know who it was going to be, but he knew that it was going to, that was the theory, that was, the, that was what the Jews were hoping for and holding out for and waiting on. And then all of a sudden, knock at the door, it's these magi saying, hey, he's, he's born. Well, he goes irate internally at, fir- or at first, and he being very political, very dignified, he pulls the religious leaders aside and he says, okay, uh, what's going on here? Where, where's this king supposed to be born? And they, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders kind of do their homework and they say, well, he's actually supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so, so he goes back to the Magi and he says, okay, the king is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Why don't you, Magi, go and do a little bit of a search, do some work for me. I want to come and worship him too. So you go, you find him, you worship him, then come back and tell me so that I can go and, and I want to worship him too. He creates this, this convincing plan with the Magi. And away they go and they, they go and worship Jesus Fast forward a little bit, and all of a sudden, they don't come back. In an encounter with with God, the Magi are told, don't go back to Herod. He's actually tricking you, and he's deceptive. He wants to kill Jesus, go through another route, and go home. And so when they don't arrive, all of a sudden, Herod's anger just boils to an extreme And instead of now searching for this one child in whom he was going to annihilate or eliminate, now he's going to take out all the kids in Bethlehem, all the boys that are two and under. Because he wasn't quite sure who the the child was. All he knows is that he's in Bethlehem, so let's go. And he sends an entourage to to Bethlehem to to wipe out all the boys. Now, now professionals, the experts, the, the theologians, the historians say it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 15 to 30 young boys, two and under, would have been killed. A small group of boys. Fortunately, as we, as we have read, Joseph had an encounter with God as well, and God warned Joseph to get out of there. This was what was happening, and so he took the family and they fled to Egypt until Herod had passed away. His wish list was to rid his life of Jesus, the one who, who, had, who threatened his leadership, who threatened his position. But that's not what he got. He got tricked. He got conned. He got humiliated instead. You know, obviously... Herod's actions are the extreme. But I don't, I don't necessarily think his actions are far off the heart of many today, to be honest. Maybe, maybe Herod represents those who go to an extreme in opposition to Christ. But like Christ himself has said, listen, even if you think about something, about murder or about sinning, even if you think in some respect, in God's eyes, it's as if you've already done it. You're just as guilty as if you did it. Herod just seemed to act on his impulses. Others just think and dream about it. So I think 
He could also represent those who misplaced Jesus in their life. Subtly, Herod personified someone, everyone, who opposes Jesus, both in action and in thought. Look at the, look at the progression of, of Herod's actions for a second. See if you can catch maybe some of the, of, of the similarities maybe in your own life. First of all, Herod actually claimed that he wanted to worship the king of the Jews, the king of kings. He actually claimed, he actually convinced those around him that he wanted to go and pay homage to this new king as well. He wanted to worship the new king. But he was manipulating the situation in order for him to get what he wanted. How often do we find ourselves doing that? How often do we see ourselves playing the game? We come to church. We may even be the ones raising our hands, closing our eyes and singing at the top of our lungs. Yet inwardly we're thinking as we do this, God, I just want you to do what I want you to do. God, I want you to listen to me. I need this. You need to do this for me. And it's almost as if if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes I think we worship God, not because we honestly want to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think we worship because we want something in return. I'm guilty. I'm, I'm not innocent on that. I've done that as well. But that's not, that's not right. It's not what God is wanting from us. You know, we come to church and we, and we worship God, and maybe we're coming because we want to feel something. We want to experience something in our worship. So I'm going to come because I want that cool feeling. I'm going to come because I want that answer to prayer. We need to take an honest, deep look at our thoughts and our thought process. Do we come on Sundays truly to worship God? Or is there other ulterior motives? Maybe it's not even, maybe it's not even God we're trying to please. Maybe we come and, and we fake worship because we're trying to please someone else. You know, that cute girl that sits on the other section you've been looking at for the last, you know, couple of months. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe you want to be friends with someone. I, I don't know. what. Maybe it's someone else you're trying to win favor for. But you... You go through the motions and you pretend to be the worshiper. But in actuality, there's something else going on. Now, I'm not saying that's what you do. I'm not saying that that's why you're here. But there may be some of you that are here like that today. And you need to be honest with yourself. Why are we here When we're honest with ourselves, then we have to ask the question, what are we going to do about it? I don't worship God because I want something from him. Then what do I do when I don't get what God wants or what I want from God? Well, there's 
Herod had, had one approach. There's two different responses we can take when we don't get what we want from God. Herod's approach was one extreme. He chose to rebel against the king of the Jews, and he did so with great force when he didn't get what was on his wish list. Herod's wish list was to eliminate the one who threatens his authority, yet he got the complete opposite in return. He got the most humiliating of gifts. In essence, Herod wanted to be his own God. That's what he was longing for. And he stopped at nothing to make sure that that would happen. But see, people, God doesn't work like that. God is not one to be eliminated from our life. Throughout time, we have seen many try to eliminate God, yet it never happens. Efforts are taking place every year to remove Christ from Christmas, yet he still remains present in the season. Whether it's here or around the globe, as Christianity seems to be waning more and more in the Western world, it is exploding in other countries like China and many of the stand countries. Christ will never become extinct. But Western culture seems to want to eliminate Christ from existence. But that's a cultural thing. But what's happening at a cultural level oftentimes begins at an individual level. Here's, here's kind of how I see it starting. You know, unfortunately... Unfortunately, I've seen this way too many, too many times. I've been here for 15 years at Calvary Church, and I can remember many faces over the years being here, people who were prominent in the church, significant influencers in the church when I started here, no longer here, and many of them no longer serving God whatsoever. And I look back and I, and I see now in hindsight, because it's always 2020, right? Hindsight, I can see some of the different steps that were taken in order for them to make that decision, that life-altering decision. Typically, I don't see it as a, as a, you know, a quick 180. Oftentimes, I see it as a slow fade. Typically, that's how it starts. Someone solid in their faith, all of a sudden, we say, goes off the deep end, but it, it wasn't an instantaneous thing. Maybe it starts with a, with a lack of spiritual discipline. Things like scripture reading, things like prayer, things like being a part of a community of believers. You know, we, oh, I forgot to read my Bible today. Oh, well, I'll get it tomorrow. Oh, you know what? I, I should spend more time in prayer. Oh, yeah. I'll have to do that. I'll have to remember that, to do that. You know, I just don't feel like going to church this morning. I had a late night last night. and Well, I'll just sleep in today. I'll, I'll go next week. It starts with subtle little things like that. We seem to back away. Next thing, one week becomes two. One day of lack of devotions becomes three. Next thing you know, before you, you go on and it's weeks or months and you haven't picked up your Bible, you haven't spent time in prayer, you haven't been to life group. 
And then often what happens is because maybe a new relationship or because of a, uh, a situation in life, um, it could be a good situation, it could be a negative situation in life, but something in your life happens. And because of that, all of a sudden you begin to shift your mentality away from Christ and more on to yourself. Well, how could that happen, God? If you were truly God, then you would have dealt with that situation. Or how could, you know, you're listening to somebody who's speaking, and you go, oh, that's an interesting perspective. And instead of bouncing it off of Scripture and trying to figure out what Scripture says, you kind of listen more and, and you begin to think on your own about what that person is saying. And all of a sudden you feel like you're having an aha moment and light bulbs are going off. And, and now you start questioning who you are in Christ. You start questioning some of your worldviews. And if we're not cautious, we begin to fade away and accept that life is more about me and less about him and what Christ desires for our life. And then maybe Christ doesn't quite seem to be the only option anymore. And even more so when he's not giving me what I want. Now some, all depending on who you are and the situation, some take it to an extreme and they become significantly uh, rebellious and, and blatantly become an enemy of the church. Others just fade away and, eh, just leave it alone. Regardless, either way, that road leads to destruction. You need to ask yourself, am I blatantly or, or subtly opposing Christ this Christmas? Am I pushing him aside and seeking my own desires or am I truly wanting to come and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Because that's the second option. When we don't get what we feel God should be giving us, we should see it as an opportunity to lean in closer to him. Not to walk away, not to step back from him, but to actually step closer to him in the midst. Because I'm convinced that in those moments, God often uses those moments as a teaching lesson, as a disciplinary lesson. He wants to reveal something to us. He wants us to see something about who he is or about what he has for our life in those moments. He's trying to draw, he's trying to draw us closer to him. Could it be that Jesus is getting your attention this Christmas? Could it be that he wants to help you stop being your own God and he wants you to place him as Lord of your life? See, he desires us to worship him in love for who he is and what he's done. Not fake worship to manipulate him to doing what we want. We have two options with the gift of Jesus this Christmas. We can take Herod's approach, which leads to, de to destruction, or we can genuinely step in to the situation and submit ourselves to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and bring an on you, honest, genuine experience of worship, adoring him, and loving him for who he is. Because in doing so, that leads to life, life to the full today, yes, and for 
eternity. And we get to experience that with Christ. What's your response? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we don't always understand why we go through, through things or why things happen in life. Sometimes we'll never understand. Sometimes you reveal to us weeks, years, decades down the road. Lord, but regardless of where we are and what we are experiencing, Jesus, I pray that we would come to you and lean closer into you today, not trying to eliminate you from our life, but trying to lean in and have you in our life even that much more. Help us, Jesus. Help us to worship you, not for our benefit, but for yours. Help us to submit our life to you today, afresh today. And may you know that we come to you with a heart of worship, humbled before you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May this be not my will, but yours be done, Lord, I pray. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be here today, and maybe you need to, for the very first time, make a commitment to follow Christ and choose to give who you are to Christ. And I would encourage you to do so. There's no greater decision than to lean into who you are as, a, as a, someone who wants to come and be a follower of Jesus Christ. No greater decision than to accept him as your Lord. And so this morning, if that's something that you want to do, I'm going to be around after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here today and, uh, and you just know that you've kind of been doing your own thing and you really haven't been worshiping God the way he wants us to worship him. No ulterior motives, just simply giving adoration to him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Ian and the team are going to lead us. We don't need to rush out of here, although if you do need to leave, you're free to go and children will be taken care of for the next while. Though, but, uh, but let's take some time and worship. If you have some moments that you can do that, take some time and genuinely worship with a heart of worship, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lean into him today. He is all that he says he is and more. God bless.